And welcome to episode 124 of the Lace Em Up podcast. I'm Steve Ellsworth. And Brett Duboff. Before we get underway with the show, congrats to the CCHL's Ottawa Junior Senators for winning not only the league title, but the Fred Page Cup. They're off to Canada's National Junior A Tournament, the RBC Cup. That starts in five days, so good luck to them. Uh, my condolences, however, to Brett's Bruins, who uh, had their season come to an end at the hands of the Tampa Bay Lightning in five games. We'll talk about that series. We'll also talk about the Sharks, who were eliminated by Vegas. Uh, and we'll also talk about the two series that are still ongoing tonight. Game six, Caps, Pens, Washington leads that series three games to two. Tom Wilson finally suspended a reasonable amount of time as well. Uh, so we'll talk about that incident there. Uh, Nashville, Winnipeg. Winnipeg's up 3-2 to two in their own building uh, tonight. They have a chance to close that series out. At the time of recording this, it's Monday afternoon. So a lot of this stuff is going to be dated. So we'll talk about those two series and which one is likely to go seven games. Maybe none of them will. We don't know. Uh, and in the rapid fire, we are also going to talk about the CHL playoffs and uh, the latest coaching hire in the NHL. Uh, that would be Jim Montgomery, who is now the head coach of the Dallas Stars. But first, like we do every week on the show, we are going to delve in the Hockey Hall of Fame Book of Trivia, the NHL Centennial Edition. Brett, are you ready for this week's question? Uh, yeah. Okay, so this week we are going to question number 13, and it is as follows. When Mark Messier retired after more than 1,700 NHL games... How many fewer did he play than all-time leader Gordie Howe? Okay. And this is relevant because uh, Yarmar Yager was making headlines uh, for this uh, throughout the season because, you know, he's been around for a long time. So you might know the answer to this. So your options are A, only one game. B, the same total as his jersey number, which is 11. C, the same total as the difference between their career points, which is 37. Or D, the same total as the difference between their career goals, which is 107. Um, I'm not sure. I'm going to go with the same to- um, amount of goals. So D. D, the same total as the difference between their career goals, 107. That's your final answer. Yes. Correct answer is B, the same total as his jersey number, 11. Uh, all right. But uh, there, I know there wasn't much separation uh, between the two uh, because uh, Yarmar Yager, I think, passed him or is on the verge of passing him. I can't remember which, but I remember that uh, record being talked about at some point this season. Anyways, time to get on with the show. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. So, um, so yeah, Steve um, kind of alluded to this beforehand, but we, um, excuse me here, Tom, um, Tom Wilson was suspended three games for a hit to the head of Zach Aston Reese, um, and it was, um, he also got away with a hit on um, in game two 
on uh, Dumoulin, and this kind of sparked some outrage between um, the Penguins players um, and coach, and uh, Barry Trotz as well, more importantly. Um, Barry Trotz said it was a a hard hockey hit, and um, he said, I already said what I'm going to say about the hit. I'm not going to comment anymore. I really don't care what Sullivan said, which we'll get to in a second. I'm not on their medical team, so I couldn't tell you. All I saw was the hit shoulder on shoulder. Both guys uh, braced for it. However, so according to that, Sullivan said, We lose a guy to a broken jaw that's going to require surgery and concussion because of another high hit to the head. Sullivan said at some point we would hope that the league might do something, and they did. Um, It appears that um, Zach Aston-Reese, he also suffered a concussion and a broken jaw, um, and Tom Wilson is out for three games. Um, Latang also mentioned that he saw that Wilson was laughing at the Penguins bench. It's kind of like showing that he knows what he was doing. Um, so that was, that makes sense. It seems like a Tom Wilson um, knew what he was doing and it did seem pretty um, illegal because like his feet were off the ground um, and all that stuff. So um, yeah, it was a, uh, it was an interesting call, and then um, Oshi got into it the next round, um, where he was he got into like a huge fight um, with I think another Penguins player, um, and um, and they were so like the aggression from the Tom Wilson hits like transferred over to the next um, the next game. Oh, by the way, Washington's up three two. I'm kind of burying the lead there, but. Um, but yeah, we can um, we can talk about both series, I guess, uh, both the Tom Wilson thing and the Washington Pittsburgh series as a whole. Um, yeah, so what do you think? Uh, well, regarding the hit, um, listen, Tom Wilson has bordered close to the line, but hasn't really crossed it for quite some time. And there was this hit in round one on Alexander Wimberg where a lot of people thought, no, I wonder what, what's going to happen here. Yeah. He didn't get suspended. So it, 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 it doesn't have a lengthy track record of suspensions, but he has been suspended before. Um, now, going back to the laughing on the bench incident, uh, Aston Reese threw his glove at the Caps bench as he was going off the ice. So maybe that's what Wilson was laughing at. I couldn't tell you. I wasn't there. Um, but either way, it doesn't look, as you mentioned, regardless of what he was laughing at, I do think he knew what he was doing. Like, on, on the play, as you mentioned, Zach Aston Reese suffered a broken jaw. There were no movements at the last second by the Pens for that caused the head to be the primary point of contact. And that's one of the things that they look at when they're looking at suspension and yep. it's to the head. And Brian Burke says, at some point, Aston Reese has a chance to avoid the hit. He was making eye contact with Wilson before the hit was made. He was bracing himself for the hit. But Burke also mentions that Tom Wilson made a pivot, then delivered the hit. And while he makes the hit, as you mentioned, both his feet leave the ice. So I do think he knew what he was doing, and I do think he should have been suspended. And getting back to what um, 
TJ Oshie was saying, uh, here's uh, more of what he said. Quote, I think it's pretty extreme. I think it's very extreme, actually. It's two guys who see each other. They both go to hit each other. Usually one guy loses that battle. I've been on both ends of it. It's a north-south hit. Tom Wilson goes straight through his body. There's been a million times where I've gotten hit. I go to the ref and say I've gotten hit to the head. The ref just says he's bigger than you. That's the way it goes. We have too many guys in the league now who think they can go out and do what they, whatever they want. If anyone touches them, it's going to be a penalty or suspension. I think there's got to be more emphasis on guys aware of their surroundings. I 100% agree with hits to the head that are unnecessary, that are directly targeted, and you can tell they're targeted. I'm completely against taking away physicality in the game. Everyone talks about the game getting faster, stronger, while the hits are going to get faster and stronger, too, end quote. And then that was, on top of that, Brayden Holtby comes in and says, I think Tom Wilson's got a kind of unfair reputation. He hits clean. He just hits hard. I think today, for some reason, it's frowned upon to hit people in hockey. Now, I think it's frowned upon when your feet leave the ice and you make contact with someone's head. I think that's what's frowned upon. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it was just more that it was definitely a head-to-head type hit. Um, and, you know, I guess it makes sense that Barry Trotz is going to be, um, you know, uh, he's going to defend his guy and all that stuff. And um, that's the same for TJ Oshie. They're going to defend his guy. Um, but like at the same time, it, it didn't, it wasn't a clean hit. And honestly, he probably shouldn't have even been in the game, um, because of the hit he had on Brian Dumoulin the, the game before. Um, so it was, it was kind of like a crazy thing that he wasn't even called to the office for that, that hit. Um, but yeah, it, it, um, it, I, I am glad. I think three games was enough. Um, This means that if this does go to seven, it means that uh, Wilson will be back. But at the same time, it's like, you know, he's missing three games. It's also the Capitals are up 3-2 at the moment. So it's kind of like showing that maybe the the Capitals don't even need Tom Wilson um, in there, you know, to win win games. which I think we all knew. I think it's also kind of funny, yeah. too, that we have, like, there was a time this season where Wilson was on the top line with Backstrom and Ovechkin, um, and back, like, it was just uh, it was just funny because, like, you know, and he was actually doing pretty well. It's just, um, you know, Tom Wilson has kind of, like, turned into this, like, headhunter-type um slob, I guess. I don't even know what the correct <laughs> term is, but, um, you know, someone who, who d- only can, uh, who plays dirty, um, and yeah, it, it didn't seem like he, um, uh, it doesn't seem like he's, he's turning a corner or anything. It just, it just seems like that's what he was, he was trying to do, um, Especially with what Latang was saying was how he was laughing in the the Pens bench, um, which just shows that he is uh, like he—that's he, what he was intending to do. So, so there—that was something that was kind of interesting. 
What's also interesting is that uh, I was speaking to one of my uh, colleagues at work, and, mm. and he was saying, well, you know, all those times that he didn't get suspended, maybe this was maybe like with, with the, the 50-50, you know, was it a clean hit? Was it not a clean hit? Was it a suspendable hit kind of deal? Um, that maybe the NHL just suspended Tom Wilson for all the times they didn't suspend Tom Wilson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe maybe a makeup for like okay we didn't get him this time but we'll get well, we didn't get him last time we'll get him this time though yeah it's true um <laughs> sorry there this just in that Brad Marchand is chirping the Canadians Twitter um <laughs> so the the Canadians sent out shared an article this is a little off topic here but uh, the Canadians shared a topic on. Uh, an article saying hidden hazard in licking golf balls. And then they said, without naming names, just a reminder that licking is a frowned upon on the golf course as well. And then Brad Marchand says, funny, dot, 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 throwing shade when you were out of the playoff race since October. <laughs> so <laughs> there, was also, there was also, I don't know if you saw this, um, but um, we mentioned in the tee-up that the Sharks were eliminated. Yeah. And... Uh, the King's Twitter account tweeted at them, so how did that go? Yeah. And he's like, oh, pretty good. We lasted six games longer to the team that swept you guys. Yeah. Uh, that's that's funny. Um, the, uh, yeah, the, um, sorry, that was a little off topic. But yeah, you're, you're right. The, uh, the Capitals are, I guess they do have the momentum now, um, for better or worse, even. I think this kind of, this kind of thing did help. Them, but it it was just um, you know they they ended up winning six two the um, in game five um, six three but six, three. Uh, yeah, they scored Same four thing. unanswered in the third down three to two yep and they came back and won that game so and that then, was some good momentum you're right and then in that game particularly that Tom Wilson uh, made that hit Ovechkin had the the game winning goal. Um, it was a nice, beautiful pass by Backstrom there, but also I, I remember seeing that like Tom Wilson also had like slew foot Olimata, um, and then um, I mean the Penguins did win three one in Game Four, but um, but yeah, it was just um, um, it was an so they have won. Um, they, you know, they could win tonight. This is recorded on Monday, um, and they could win tonight to make it. Um, so they, they don't even have the Penguins. Don't even have to worry about Tom Wilson in the seventh game. Um, but yeah, so um, so there is something to think about. I don't know. I is this? Do you think this series is going seven? Well. If you look at how the series has gone so far, in Game 2, the Caps outshot Pittsburgh 20-10. to They were staking themselves to a 2-0 lead. Uh, That was in the first period. Um, So they started off good um, like they did in Game 1. Game 3, pretty tooth and nail towards the end. You mentioned Ovechkin, clutch goal to win it, and he did that in the final two minutes of regulation. Like everyone, the whole knock on Ovechkin was like, oh, big moments in playoffs, he can't deliver. What do you think of that, eh? The goal yeah. in the final two minutes of the game to give his team a 4-3 lead, that's that's pretty clutch to me. Um, and that maybe, like, for Washington, 
kind of distracted uh, a little bit from the whole Tom Wilson thing because that's when it happened. It took place in game three. Um, and then in game four, of course, Pittsburgh had a response. You know, everyone talks about Crosby, but this Jake Gensel guy, mm. like over 20 points in his first 10 playoff games this year after an on and off regular season, he gets three points in game four to even the series. It, it just goes to show you how back and forth this series can be. And like, and like I said, uh, game five, the Pens were up three, two in the after 40 and uh, the caps uh, come back in the third and win it there. Um, and it's just an alteration of star players stepping up, you know, with Gensel in game four, uh, Ovechkin held without a shot uh, in game four. He does slightly better in game five. And then Braden Holtby, Braden Holtby, like 39 shots against in game five, 30 scoring chances against 20 shots against from the slot and only three, three pucks make it past him and into the net. Um, it's really tough to predict whenever these two teams square off, what's going to happen. Um, and I'm honestly prepared for either scenario. Like, just watch, watching uh, the Caps, you know, start off strong uh, for the majority of this series. All they need is is that killer instinct, that finish. Mm. Uh, if they get off to a good start in Game 6 and they continue that into the second and third period, Pittsburgh's done. Yeah, I think Pittsburgh is very, very close to having everything come crashing down and uh, their odds of a 3 peak just vanishing in the blink of an eye. Uh, but I also wouldn't pa- put it past Pittsburgh to force a game seven. And of course, you know, Pittsburgh, Washington, I think a lot of people are expecting it to go game seven. So I'm honestly prepared with either scenario. Um, I think it could be Washington's time, though. I think they could do it. If they don't do it in game six, maybe they do it in game seven. Um, See, that's where it's, I just it's like... just. It's, it's just really close to calls to who wins this. See, that's where I disagree with you. I feel like the Capitals have to win Game 6. They have to. And if they don't, and it yeah. goes to Game 7, then all the momentum goes back to Pittsburgh. And I, I feel like the Pittsburgh will win that if it goes to 7. Um, and, it, and and all the yeah. people are probably going to say, well, they're in Washington. Yeah, well, Pittsburgh won in Washington in Game 7 last year. Right, right, exactly. And I think it's just... I, I know I've been saying all along that, like, the history shouldn't really matter. Um, but at the same time, it's like, you know, the, this like the Penguins are still a very good team. And I feel like it. this all depends on the, the momentum. And at the moment, the Capitals do have the momentum because they did win 6-3 in their last game against them. But they just have to close them out because you don't want... You don't want to go to Game Seven again um, against Pittsburgh. So uh, there is especially with uh, Matt Murray and his history of bouncing back after losses too in the playoffs. Like yeah. he's got ridiculous numbers following a loss. It's crazy. Yeah, um, yeah, that's true. Let's go to Winnipeg and Nashville. That series is still underway, and that also could end tonight too. Um, the um, it's the last a remain series that we have yet to talk about. Um, this one was, this hasn't been uh, like as exciting as it, um, as we all thought it would be uh, just because it's, you know, Winnipeg uh, blew out the uh, Nashville team in games one and three and five. And then Nashville kind of, uh, I mean, I guess 
the the two games that Nashville won, those were exciting because it was uh, one was an OT and the other one was a two one game. I um, mean, game four. Um, but it seems like um, you know, uh, like Winnipeg has just been too strong in terms of depth. They've kind of out depth Nashville, which is uh, kind of uh, crazy to say the least, just because Nashville has a lot of depth as well. But like guys like Kyle Connor, uh, he had two goals and one assist last night um, or on Saturday. Um, he, you know, Blake Wheeler had two goals. Shifley had two goals in game two. Uh, Wheeler had two goals in game three. Um, you know, so it it does seem like the offense has won instead of the Nashville defense. Um, but yeah, it seems like Winnipeg has it kind of controlled, although I wouldn't be surprised if this goes seven, um, as well. Um, so yeah, what, what do you think? So remember last week when I told you how dominant, uh, the Preds were in the first period and they just continued that and Hellebuck had yeah. to stand on his head in game one and all that jazz and the Jets somehow found a way to win that game. Yep. I, I said, if the series was going to continue like that. Winnipeg was going to be in trouble. Well, the Preds were down two to one after 20 minutes in game two, but they scored within the first minute and they got 14 scoring chances in the period, eight more than Winnipeg at the start of game three, Winnipeg had longer time with the puck in the offensive zone to start, but the Preds scored three times on 12 shots with the eight scoring chances that they got game four, Nashville and Winnipeg neck and neck in a lot of those offensive categories, like, Scoring chances, shots, shots from the slot. The Preds had a one nothing lead, though. And in mm. Game 5, the Jets had 50 seconds of offensive zone puck possession in the opening 20. Outchance 10-3, only had one shot from the slot. And while it was scoreless, the Preds had a slight advantage. Here's where I'm going with this. Nashville has had the better starts to a lot of these hockey games from a numbers point of view. What they did not have was that killer instinct, especially in Game 3. They're up 3-0 after 20 minutes inside the other team's building. Then the next four goals and six of the final seven of the game go in the back of their net, and they lose 7-4. A few nights ago, the Jets could have taken a 2-0 series lead with an OT win. Your team wins that, and you get off to a solid start like that in the next game? That could have been their best chance for Nashville to turn the series around in their favor. Especially when you consider that the Preds' best game was in Game 4, which for the most part, in all but 59 minutes, and all but the final minute of hockey, they basically shut out the Jets. If Nashville wins game three, they're up 3-1 heading back to Bridgestone Arena. But it's during those situations like that where you see momentum start to turn and you really see how close a matchup like this is and you realize how close it is to being taken away from you. Right now, we're talking about a vulnerable Nashville hockey team that is lacking the killer instinct. We're talking about a goaltending deal that Pecorine is losing to Connor Hellebuck right now. We're talking about how good Bufflin is and how much of a depth gem that Paul Stastny is. And on top of that, Patrick Laine's awake, folks. In game four, in the final minute, he scored. To open game five, he got the first goal. Mm-hmm. Kyle Connor had two goals, his first two goals of the playoffs in game five. There are people 
on that Winnipeg Jets roster that are starting to find their groove, and that is bad for the Preds. And then you see P.K. Subban declaring victory in Game 6 and predicting a Game 7. How did that work for John Tortorella in Columbus in Round 1 against Washington? It didn't work out very well. They lost that game. In my opinion, an experienced team like the Nashville Predators are searching for some sort of inspiration because, in my opinion, the Winnipeg Jets have got everything going for them. The Nashville Predators are expected to win this series. Winnipeg's not. Winnipeg's got nothing to lose. And now, game six in their own building, they got a chance to do something, and and they can say all they want. Oh, you know, we're not focused on the magnitude of the game. You better believe the fans will be because the fans are going to be the last they've ever been this entire series. So Nashville needs a good start. They need a good second period, and they need a good third period. Otherwise, this series is over. Yeah, I mean it had. I mean they did look good in Game Four and uh, and also in Game Two. So there is, you know, there is still some hope. And you and you're right. We did talk on Game One that they like, you know, Hellebuck was just standing on his head. So, um, but like other than that, Nashville probably would have won that game. So it's not like they've looked terrible. Um, I mean, although I guess the the blowouts in Game Three and Game Five aren't uh, that tell. Um, obviously, you don't want that, but um, yeah, I, I I could see this game, this uh, series going seven. It all really, it's all. I mean, I hate this is a canned answer, I guess, but it all de- really depends on tonight um, and to see what goes on. Like, obviously, it all depends on tonight uh, for the Nashville Predators, but. Um, yeah, I think I, I could see, I think Winnipeg's will still win this thing, but I think it will go to seven. Um, I feel like Nashville's just too good of a team to just give up right now. Um, I think there's also something to the fact that I feel like Rene hasn't exactly been great, uh, this series. Um, and you know, he, he's been, he's usually so inconsistent in, during the season, although I guess, not this season, but just in the past that he's been inconsistent and maybe it's just catching up to him this year, this series where he is kind of inconsistent. Um, so that that does um, make it a little interesting uh, to say the least. I feel like Rene has to get up, be back on his game um, for, in order for Nashville to, to win. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I think it's definitely possible that this could go seven and Nashville would win, but I just don't see it. So I think, I think Winnipeg will win this. I'm just, um, I'm going to say it will go to seven just cause I want to see it, but I don't know if it will. Yeah. You, you, it, it would be interesting if it went seven games and Winnipeg took three or four in Nashville. Yeah. Like, that would be absolutely insane because Nashville in their in their home building, they've been about as dangerous as the Winnipeg Jets have been. Yeah, and um, considering that until Game Four, Winnipeg had won thirteen straight home games, dating back to March second regular season and playoffs. That's absolutely absurd to me. Yeah. Um. So Nashville obviously needs to win another game in Winnipeg in order to have a shot at winning this series. Yeah. Um. But I'm gonna pull a page out of your playbook and say. Winnipeg's got to win game six or they won't win the series. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think they could win game seven. 
Um, but okay, I I think I think Winnipeg has more of a chance to close it out than Washington does in seven. Like if either if both games yeah. go to seven, I feel like Winnipeg has a better chance of winning game seven than Washington does of winning game seven. I should also point out that uh, I have four national predators on my playoff fantasy yeah. team and zero Jets. Yeah. So as much as I want Winnipeg to win, I kind of don't. <laughs> because I yeah. have a feeling like Vegas is already in, Washington's in the driver's seat, Winnipeg's in the driver's seat. Yeah. If all those three teams win their series... All You're I have out. left is Anton Strawman and Tyler Johnson. Yeah, That's it. my uh, my playoff pool has kind of gone now just because of what happened to the Bruins. But um, I, although I do have Kucherov and Ellers still, but uh, that's not. I don't, I don't think that's going to be enough. Um, speaking of that, uh, Tampa advances and Boston is eliminated. I will. Do, I mean, I'm. I'm okay. I'm. If in case you guys are curious, I'm not gonna. I'm not in suicidal mode or whatever. Um, I. But, but you are bummed out. I am definitely bummed out and definitely angry. But I'm not like. Um, you know, compared to other seasons, I'm. I'm not as mad. Um, I, there's greener pastures. Exactly. I feel like I, I take more comfort in the fact that like, you know, at the start of the season, the Bruins weren't, uh, weren't even predicted to be in the playoffs. Um, you know, this was going to be like, oh, they'll probably just get, like, I was just thinking, oh, they'll get the wild card at least. And all that stuff. It'll be a wild card. And then all of a sudden, you know, it, it comes January and they're like, you know, they're one of the best teams in the league. And I'm like, and I start to believe that, oh, maybe this could be a team that makes a run and all that stuff. And, you know, like I was just ignoring the fact that Tampa Bay was also a really good team and we'd have to beat them. But, um, you know, so there is that that aspect of things. And, yeah, and I guess in retrospect that Rick Nash deal was maybe a little bit too much. But at the same time, Rick Nash was one of our best forwards, um, and it was just like everyone else didn't really show up, um, other than you know Marshawn, Pasternak, and Bergeron, and then Rick Nash showed up. But like you know, where was David Krejci? Where was um, DeBrusque? I think was injured or something. But um, you know, our depth wasn't as strong as Tampa Bay, and and they were, and Tampa Bay was faster and all that stuff. I mean, as well, I hate to be that guy to talk about the officiating, but they were horrible. Um, you know, there was a slashing penalty that wasn't called on Brad Marchand when he had a late breakaway opportunity uh, late in the game for game two. Yeah, uh, there, was, yeah. uh, there was that tripping call um, that Kucherov did on a Charlie McAvoy um, that led to Steven Stamkos tying the goal, tying, tying the game in game four. Um, and that, and if Boston wins yeah. that, the series is tied at two and they take their chances in Tampa exactly. Bay. So that's a pivotal moment in the series, for sure. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, we also, like, um, there was just a ton of, like, calls that the, that the Bruins got in and um, that the uh, Lightning, you know, they weren't called on. It was just very hypocritical. 
of the officiating. I just, I, you know, honestly, I don't care if like the Bruins can do all their officiating. Like, you know, they, they obviously messed up and they definitely had a lot of penalties uh, against them. But at the same time, like Tampa Bay got away with so much stuff that it was just more annoying than anything. And obviously, you know, it was, it was inconsistent officiating. Like you call something against Boston, but you don't call it against Tampa. Like it should be, you don't call it against one team. You don't call it against the other. And, team. and also, to be fair, like in the you know, the Toronto series, the Bruins, you know, were on that end of things. So it would be, um, you know, where the Bruins got away with a lot of different things on the officiating aspect of things. So I couldn't, you know, it's not necessarily like, um, you know, the Bruins, like the everyone hates the Bruins and all that stuff. Although I certainly felt that way with all the Brad Marchand stuff, but. Um, it was, it's more the, it's just more the, it was just more annoying and the officiating and obviously like the Bruins weren't even playing well, even given that. So like the, I'm not sure if the, the lightning probably would still win maybe, um, if, if it happened. Um, but, um, it was just more, um, you know, you have to be consistent. That's. It's just more standards than anything. Um, so that's it for the officiating. Uh, we can talk about the Brad Marchand stuff where uh, he licked uh, Ryan Callahan in the face like, in yeah, Game like 4. straight on the face, like up, yeah. up the tongue, uh, like up, up the mouth and yeah. on the nose. Like, like he got all tongue on his face. Um, I may be in the minority. It feels like it was just... Bruins against the world when it happened, but I didn't find it that big of a deal, honestly, because I felt like, um, you know, that's just what Brad Marchand does. It's not like, you know, he's trying to get under people's skin um, and all that stuff, and um, you know, it was clearly that he was trying to get Callahan to, uh, you know, fight back and maybe punch him so that um, so that Callahan would get a five-minute penalty, um, and then it just seemed like it roller coastered all over. Like everyone was overreacting. Like they were saying, like how Brad Marchand should be out f- for the season or out of the playoffs because you know that's just disrespectful. It's just like, but like fighting a guy isn't disrespectful or like I don't know. It's just like yeah, of course no one wants to be licked, but it's a hockey playoff game. It's not like you're. It's not like a an office format where you're like you're just sitting in an office and all of a sudden someone licks you. That's not like you just have to get the context, and that's that's more what annoyed me. I was more annoyed that people I were annoyed. I just see that being a part of like an NHL yeah. commercial. You know, Connor yeah. McDavid just randomly pops into the office. Brad Marchand just comes out of nowhere and licks yeah. somebody. No, no, face. but like that's what I'm saying. Like that was an actual thing. That's just like. Like, if this was in an office, no one would, like, you know, Brad Marchand would be charged with sexual assault. It's just like, well, yeah, but anything, like, you know, like, if you cross-check someone in the office, that would be, yeah. like, you know, yeah. <laughs> that would also be called. Yeah. Cross-check someone in the boards. Like, yeah, you're like, yeah, like, a lot of things, like, hockey is not the office. I don't know if anyone knows this. You so. can get away with a lot of stuff in hockey yeah. that, you, that you wouldn't get away with in the real world. So, you're not wrong. So I was I was more annoyed. Like I get there's all these jokes, and I get that Marshawn is this pest, and he's not only like a pest 
on the ice, but he's a pest. You know, like, all the other fans hate him. So I get that. Um, and, you know, people just like to make fun of it. It's just, it was just more, um, I don't know. It was more frustrating that, like, people just didn't understand. Like, it just wasn't a big deal. Like, meanwhile, like, Tom Wilson was headhunting guys. And people, yeah. like, didn't even focus on that because Brad Marchand licked a guy, you know? It just, it just it was more annoying on my end where I was just like, are we really, like, focusing in on Brad Marchand because he's doing this? Um, so, so I was more annoyed on that, but, um, yeah, I don't know. What, what is your take? Well, um... <laughs> on, on either both well, the Bruins wondering. or the... The first time, it, the first time, it's just like, oh, that's an interesting tactic. Yeah. The second, it's just like, <laughs> you, you just start to laugh, and then by the fourth or fifth time, it's just like, okay, now it's getting a little bit creepy. Right. And <laughs> I, I can totally see the NHL making this into its own rule, like the Brad Marchand yeah. rule. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Andre Martin Brodeur rule. You can't yeah. go around licking people on the ice. It's just gonna be a heading, uh, face licking or tongue licking or whatever. It just says. You can't let people on the ice. End of the rule. Yeah. I can totally see this becoming the new rule because it's – because – and the NHL was pretty clear to Brad Marchand after game four. Colin Campbell called him up and he said, look, knock it off or suffer the consequences there. Right. Uh, So I I think they're going to have to make it a rule because it's – Everyone's just gonna be like, "Oh, Brad Marchand does it, then he's gonna get suspended." But if I do it, I'm gonna get away with it. Right, right. So, like when when they say that no more tongue licking, they they say that applies to everyone here. Okay, yeah. We didn't think we'd have to make this a rule, but we're going to. Please do not lick people on the ice. Right. Um. So I I think this is gonna be one of those. Uh. Defining plays in the NHL rule book where everyone's going to be like, what in the world caused them to create this rule? <laughs> They're going to point right to that incident mm-hmm. right there in game four. Yeah, that's I, true. I, I, think it's kinda, I think it's funny, but after a while, it's, it's kind of grown stale. That's my yeah, I guess, I guess that's fair. It's like, I mean, like I knew what he's trying, like what Marshawn is doing in that he's trying to get like, under the player's skin and maybe, like, make the, that, like, Ryan Callahan would be, like, upset and would try to throw in punches, but at the same time, you know. And I would, it would throw me off big time, like, I I would just be flabbergasted to be just like, what, dude, get away from me. Right, but at the same time, it's like, Marshawn started that, so I would imagine refs could see, like, oh, he only punched him because Marshawn licked him in the face. So that's like a, you know, that's a fair assessment. So um, maybe it is kind of stupid in that. I do kind of get get a kick out of the fact that, like, um, that Brad Marshawn is kind of, like, turned into the Sean Avery where he's going to get, like, a rule named after him um, just because of his, uh, his antics. Um, so that's, yeah. that's, like... I don't think you can get any more pest-like than that. Um, I, I do so. think if they're not going to make it a rule, any time someone responds with a punch to the face of Brad Marchand, I don't think the ref should call it. Because I think if Brad Marchand does that, I think you should expect to get punched in the face. True. I, I guess it's more that he gets the he doesn't get the benefit of the doubt. And, and even yeah. in uh, Game 5, uh, what happened was Brad Marchand was tripped 
like uh, Hedman had his stick right underneath Marshawn's legs, and he falls yeah. down instinctively. And then he get, and then Brad Marsh, I mean, uh, Hedman gets called um, as well, but Marshawn also gets called because of embellishment, which was just yeah. ridiculous because it's just like, what is he supposed to do? He fell down. It's not like he actually like tried to like fall down. He actually fell down. Like the stick was underneath his legs. Um, so um, yeah, we'll go back to that. But it's like, it was like an obvious like Marshawn was only penalized there because he's Brad Marshawn. Um, and, yeah, not... and, and you know, when you get that kind of a reputation where you don't know if he's yeah. like faking it or not, and you're not really sure. It's just like, yeah. you know, I want to believe him. I want to believe that he was tripped, but I just don't know. So I'm right. going to call him for embellishment. Yeah. Um, and then um, it's actually uh, my dad was telling me that people on the radio want to trade Brad Marchand, which is idiotic. <laughs> so I'm not even going to get into that. Um the only time, the only, like, I can understand it if it's, like, a James Neal type situation, but, um, Brad Marchand's, like, good at hockey, you know, so it's not like, uh, um, uh, you, sh- I don't, you don't want to trade him because he's our best, he's been our best player for a good, like, three years, um, consistent, I should say, um, because uh, Pasternak and Bergeron might have something to say about that, but um, I think I think if if he has a good regular season, but one of those playoffs where his antics uh, overshadow the Bruins and they don't go deep, yeah. I think then maybe there's a bit more weight to those conversations. But right. after a year where they were they finished like one point behind Tampa for an Atlantic Division crown, yeah. I don't feel comfortable trading Brad Marchand antics aside. Yeah, yeah, I think I agree with that. Also, my dad, who's a Giants fan, wants to trade OBJ, so take that with a grain of salt. Um, the, um, yeah, but, like, I, I don't know if you, uh, I guess the only UFAs that the Bruins have to worry about um, is Rick Nash. Um, I, I'd be okay if we sign him again. I know he didn't, like, score a ton of goals in the uh, playoffs, but he was, um, you know, we, we traded a lot for him, so I feel like we, we elite, and he was, you know, he was decent on the defensive side of things and all that stuff, and he, he does the occasional goals, so um, I'd be okay if we uh, sign him for another uh, couple years. Uh, Riley Nash is another one. Um, he's probably going to get a pay grade. Um, he was making only $900,000. Um, he's probably gonna be making somewhere in the, I would imagine, four million somewhere in that range. Um, Tim Schaller, Tommy Wingles, Gianta are all UFAs. I don't think Gianta is gonna be signed. I don't know why he, uh, Cassidy had him in OT um, in Game Four. That was ridiculous. Um, and Nick kind of the equivalent to having a Tom Pyatt in a shootout situation against yeah. a team like Tampa Bay early in the regular was, season. Yeah. The only difference is that was the regular season, and this was in a playoff overtime yeah. game. And I will say that I, I should give Tampa Bay a lot of credit for, um, you know, after game one, I was like, oh, this actually, you know, the Bruins might actually win this series and all that stuff. And then 
in game two with a they made all their corrections and they got better on defense and um and they corrected all the stuff that they worked on in game one so um so good for Tampa Bay for um you know making all those adjustments and the Bruins just couldn't handle it um yeah, after game one, which yep. the Bruins scored six times, Tampa only gave up seven goals the rest of the way. So, so, so they, good for them. Right. They, they made a huge adjustment, for sure. Um, so, yeah, that was uh, – I'll give them credit for that, um, for sure. Um, yeah, and, uh, you know, and honestly, as a Bruins fan, I guess I should do, like, an obituary or something, but um, – the, you know, like, honestly, as I mentioned before, I didn't expect them to make it this far at the start of the season. I'd be thrilled. I am a little disappointed just because of the fact that they did crush it in game one, and I still feel like um, they could have, you know, at least gone in it to game seven. Um, but, you know, at the same time, it's like, you know, we still have, the Bruins still have a bright future in the fact that, you know, Jake DeBras, Charlie McAvoy, uh, Dan and Heinen sort of got some playoff experience. So that was all helpful for them. And, um, you know, we don't know what's going to happen to uh, uh, Chara next year. Um, I know he's signed up for one more year, but, um, you know, who knows if he'll decline at all. And, um, who knows what's going to happen with Bergeron, Krejci, um, Marshawn. Um, they're all, you know, they're all not getting younger, as they say. But um, I just hope that the Bruins just don't make any drastic changes. Um, maybe get a more depth guys, depth guys and forwards in the forward spot. But, um, yeah, that would be about it in terms of I just hope they don't, like, trade, like, uh make a drastic move and like sign a David Clarkson or something like that. But, um, yeah. Um, I think, um, as far as the Bruins season goes, like, you know, you had a lot of people exceed expectations and for sure DeBruskin and Heinen were a couple of those guys. Um, I think what kind of led to their demise was that lack of experience, yep. that lack of playoff experience to, to handle fair. ups and downs. And, and I said, that, you know, oddly enough, you know, after the Leafs series, I thought they were better equipped to handle this series than Tampa Bay was. Right. But Tampa's got guys like Chris Kunitz, that's won five Stanley Cups. They had Girardi and McDonough, who have been to the Stanley Cup Finals. Yeah. Uh, Kucherov, Stamkos, Palat, Johnson, that have been to the Conference Finals, that went to the Stanley Cup Finals in 2015. Had those ingredients, the Bruins did Beyond round one, this is the farthest that this group has gone. And now, hopefully, next year, they are able to build on it. Now, yeah. regarding the Rick Nash situation, um, I I think they'll be able to get him signed at a reasonable price, largely because this is the third straight season where he hasn't hit 40 points. Yeah. Obviously, he's not going to get 4 to $5 million a year. No one's going to be willing to pay that kind of money uh, to keep a guy like Rick Nash. But even if, even if they... Uh, Decide, you know, to part ways with Gianta and Wingles and uh, Schaller. You know, know, is that going to be enough to keep Rick Nash? I'm not quite sure. You also have uh, Matt Grizzlick, who's a pending RFA. You have Anton Udobin, who had a great year. He's a pending UFA. 
Um, the good news is uh, they're probably not going to keep Nick Holden. So yeah. the 1.6 or so million that they don't have to pay him, they'll probably use to keep those two guys around. True. Um, so they're, they're definitely going to have to, to do uh, some tweaking with the cap for sure to make it work. But I think maybe they could. It's just down the road that I you need to be a bit more concerned about the long-term vision True. because Sean Corrali is arbitration eligible. Uh, and after next year, Adam McQuaid and Chara and Achari are all UFAs. Uh, guys like Ryan Donato, Danton Heinem, Brandon Carlo, and Charlie McAvoy are all RFAs. Um, they really need to be concerned with player development, developing guys like Anders Bjork, Jakob Zaborl, Saxonishin, JFK, Jakob Forsbacher, Carlson. You need your unsung heroes to be an A+. Their success hinges on what they did this year with their with their new guys, with their rookies, their veterans. Yeah. Everyone's going to have to be at the same level next year in order to be this successful. And in my opinion, they need to be better than they were this year because you better believe Toronto is going to learn from their mistakes. Yep. You better believe at some point the haves and sends are going to smarten up and get back to their winning ways. You look at Florida and how good they were this year. Maybe Buffalo comes into the mix and starts becoming a threat. So, I think it's going to be even tougher for the Bruins to do well if they just stand pat with a group that they have. Yeah. Because they could easily become, and I'm not saying they're going to become the Ottawa Senators, but they could easily have enough of a free fall where they don't make the playoffs if they don't do anything. Yeah, that's a fair point. That's a good comparison. Like the, what the Senators were last year, the Bruins could be this year. That is definitely possible. Um, However, I, I don't know. I feel like the Bruins do have a lot of young players that, that it's like a good sign that they could come back and, you know, and build off of it. Um, as well as the fact that, like, you know, we didn't have Tory Krug in Game 5. Um, you know, it seems like Bergeron and DeBrusque were battling injuries um, throughout that was that out series. too for the entire playoffs as yeah. well. And Carlo, yeah, exactly, Carlo as well. So, I'm not too necessarily too worried about that yet, but I could like I'm not going to count that like out from happening. So we'll see how it goes. Um, I you know I'm I've, I've never been more excited for next season than I have um, in a while. So that's um, what I said before yeah. <laughs> the sins really crapped the bed, though. It's true. So, All right. Well, I guess I guess you never know. I I think. The Bruins have a better chance of not flopping like Ottawa did this year. I will say that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I feel like also that the Bruins are, this is going to come off weird, but I feel like the Bruins are built a little bit better than the Senators are. Um, just in terms of like, you know, you have guys like Bergeron and Chara and even Tuka, you know, that those guys are like, veteran leadership guys, and um, I'm not sure if the Senators necessarily have that. Um, so, yeah, there's that. Uh, let's go to the Vegas Golden Knights. They've advanced, and they beat the uh, Sharks in six. Um, Marc-Andre Fleury is incredible. He, he um, 
I guess I remember early on in his career where people thought that he would like struggle in the playoffs, but um, but it turns out that he's he's actually pretty good in the playoffs, um, even when he has his own team. Um, he uh, uh, what, what is it here? He only gave up fourteen goals in the uh, conference semifinals. Um, Stopped 200 of 214 shots, by the way, and he faced an average of three more shots than he did in the L.A. series. So he had an average of 35 shots against per game. And that's a 9.35 save percentage. Which is impressive. With two shutouts. Um, So, yeah. uh, So so Marc-Andre Fleury is definitely, I mean, he's one of the stories, of course. William Carlson did pretty well. Um, Jonathan Marchessault. But like you know, I, I I've said this before and I'll say it again. Uh, you know, I've stopped I've stopped like making sense of the Vegas Golden Knights, and I just started to appreciate them. Um, so I hope they do go to, like the I. You know, it would be awesome if they actually did win the cup, um, just so it would just show that how stupid every GM is in the world. The fact that like an expansion team. What? Mostly Florida. Mostly Florida, but like pretty much any team. Um, like you, you could even make a case that Pittsburgh screwed up in in terms of like they willfully gave, they willfully wanted the the Knights to get Flurry. Like they didn't even you know, and they struggled uh, to get a backup um, this season, and they were definitely hurt by the Flurry injury. So. You can make a case for any, uh, every team uh, was kind of hurt by it. But yeah, you're right. Florida, uh, Anaheim um, had, a, had a couple of guys, uh, Minnesota as well. Those were the yeah, big Minnesota, three that were. Tuca has been a good depth guy for them. Hall has been a yep. good second line guy too. Yeah, so those, uh, so those were definitely guys that. Um, were definitely hurt or Columbus with uh, William Carlson like William Carlson wasn't even like was just mostly like a penalty killer for Columbus and now and he, he only scored six goals the year before yeah. so in all fairness I, I think it was a feel-good story but I don't think anyone was expecting like this kind of performance with like Marcus and Smith they had a track record of putting up decent numbers I guess that's true but at the same time it's like if you're Columbus you you're pretty pissed because you're like thinking like, well, why didn't we try to put him on the top six lines? Because it's yeah. it's clear that he has talent. Um, it's just you know the Knights gave him a role to to fill, and he was able to to you know get forty goals in the regular season and still do really well in the in the postseason. So it's like, why? Like if I'm the Columbus Blue Jackets, I'd just be more mad that they didn't ex- they didn't try try him out in the top six line, um, per se. Um, yeah. Um, so I, I see what you're saying, that, like, no one could have predicted it, but it happened, you know? So, like, maybe there is something to it. I, I always do, I do think this is very bad news for Seattle, though, because now knowing this, if Vegas wins the Cup... Right. And NHL GMs are going to be super careful with the next expansion. Well, I think they already are, considering that the Knights well, are more so in the... now, if they, yeah. if they go all the way. It's true. 
Well, I think, like, considering that the the Knights are in the conference finals, I think there is something to that. Um, but, yeah, no, the, uh, uh, but, yeah, the, uh, I guess it is, like, a, we've talked about this before, but it is kind of, um, it's, like, both good and bad. Like, if you're, I mean, I'm sure for you as a Sens fan, you know, you spent your entire existence as a franchise never even making it to, well, you did make it to the Stanley Cup final, but you haven't won the Stanley Cup. Yeah, um, and, we, and, we, and they lost in five games, too. And right. I was so, I was, oh my God, it was in but, tears after like game four. Like, I was devastated. And then, meanwhile, the Vegas Golden Knights are like making it to the conference finals, yeah, making right it off, seem right like off it's the nothing. Rim, in the final four, yeah. Yeah, so, um, so that's probably, I can understand, like, for, for, I can understand it if you're a fan of, teams that, you know, haven't won the Stanley Cup in a while or haven't won it at all. Like, imagine, like, Maple Leafs fans or, um, you know, even Sabres fans that are probably, like, just pissed off that all of a sudden, like, this expansion team can um, all of a sudden make it look like it's chump change, uh, basically. Um, but, yeah, the, uh, the Sharks, I was looking forward to uh, Evander King goes back to Winnipeg uh, type conference finals and um, and all that stuff, but yeah. that's not going to happen. It looks like for the Sharks, um, they did try hard. Um, they're another team like the Bruins, where I didn't even really expect that. I was thinking like, oh, they might make the wild card, but I'm not necessarily sure if they will. Um, but they they definitely had some things going. Evander Kane truly stepped up, um, and he's probably going to get a Big payday on July 1st because he's going to be UFA. Uh, Thomas Hurdle was pretty good too uh, for them, and uh, so was Timo Myers. They definitely have stuff that they could build upon um, for next year. Of course, you have Brent Burns and Logan Couture, um, but you know I think what their true demise was was their their goaltending. Um, I feel like they need to figure that out as well, but. Um, it looks like they're going to stick with Martin Jones, just considering that that he's on a long-term contract with them. Um, and they also have Aaron Dell as well. So, um, yeah, there's that. I, I getting, I'll get to the Sharks in a second, but sure. getting back to Vegas and how well they play, I just love how they were, uh, just the resolve that they showed, like, you know, losing that game two in, in overtime, they bounce back in game three, um, you know, the Sharks battle back uh, in the third again, uh, but uh, the, the Golden Knights find a way to win that in overtime. Uh, they get shut out in game four. They bounce back, chase Martin Jones from the net in game five, and then game six comes around. And yeah. the Sharks had their chances. They hit a few posts. They missed uh, the mark a couple times in the opening 40 minutes. But I really saw the tide start to turn in Vegas's favor around the halfway mark of the second period. The Sharks spent two minutes, 58 seconds more than them with the puck in the offensive zone through 40 minutes, I think, or the entire game. I can't remember which one it was. They doubled the Knights in scoring chances at that point. But if you look at the slot shots and the shots on goal, they're almost dead even through 40. And the big reason why is that the Golden Knights were just too darn fast for them to keep up. And the Sharks were getting chances, like I said, but... They weren't getting quality chances, and that's because Vegas was pressuring them. If the Sharks entered the zone, Vegas' defense converged on their offense so quickly that they had to make their passes a lot quicker. 
Sometimes their passes would be rushed, not so accurate. Sometimes they make a pass, and boom, a Vegas defender is right there to intercept it. And even two times, three times in that uh, final 10 minutes of the second period, the Sharks went offside. So just the way Vegas was able to conduct themselves as a unit and just to, like, play that kind of style. Only one giveaway the entire game. Nine chances from the slot for Vegas in the third period. San Jose had eight the entire game. It's It just blows my mind how well this team has been doing. And I honestly, I just, I've stopped thinking. I'm just going to enjoy the ride like you. Yeah. I just, I, I'm just at a loss for words as to there you go. how this team continually finds a way to prove me wrong. Yeah. Um, so that's my thoughts on Vegas. Getting back to San Jose in the future, though. Uh, remember what I said um, last week that losing Vander Kane for Game Two would be a bad thing because he's one of their top goal scorers since the deadline. Yeah. Well, he returns to the lineup in Game Three, scores a goal. In that game, he got five shots. Games four to six, zero goals, six shots. Wow. So, um, again, one of their top scores nullified. Uh, in the two contests that San Jose won, Joe Pavelski goal and two assists. Zero points, 10 shots in the four games that San Jose lost. And in the playoffs, he only scored two goals in 10 games. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, the Golden Knights' top line owned San Jose because in the LA series, which resulted in a four-game sweep for Vegas, the trio of Carlson, Marcheseau, and Smith had one goal and six helpers and a rating of plus one. San Jose series, eight goals and 17 assists, plus 15 rating combined between those three. Yeah. I give full kudos to guys like Marcus Sorensen and Jonas Donskoy, who had a monster game four and had their moments throughout the series. But like the Toronto Maple Leafs, if you're calling the fourth line one of your best lines, I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing in the playoffs. It's not a bad thing to have too much depth, but in those moments, your best players need to be your best players. And simply put, Vegas's best players were better than San Jose's best. And like we mentioned earlier, It's not like Martin Jones was bad because heading into game six, he had a high danger save percentage of 887 in these playoffs. That was 0.04 better than Flower despite his short starts in games one and five. It's just that Fleury was a little bit better in the long haul and he stopped the puck more than Martin Jones did. Vegas was just that much better than uh, the San Jose Sharks. Now, here's where I'm concerned about the Sharks moving forward. Joe Thornton is a UFA after this year. So is Evander Kane. Joel Ward and Yannick Hansen are due for new contracts, as well as Eric Fair. I think they could probably find the money to keep Kane around if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's shown the structure that the Sharks are running, that he can be successful. Uh, Chris Tierney and Dylan DeMello are pending RFAs, but they won't have to break the bank to sign those guys, I don't think. Uh, they're fine on defense for the term. Their goaltending is fine for the next few years. I think Martin Jones is more than capable of uh, at least getting them to the playoffs. The real test comes after next season when guys like Jonas Donskoy and Marcus Sorensen are pending UFAs, as well as, oh, let me think. Oh, yeah, Joe Pavelski and Logan Couture. Yeah. That's two of their three core guys in need of a new contract. Well, you also... And when you consider that... When you consider that Jumbo Joe and guys like Joe Pavelski and uh, Logan Wolverine Couture are going to need new contracts for the next year or so, and you consider that all of them will be at least 
30 years of age by this time in 2019, and Thornton's going to be nearing 40, I really start to wonder how much big of a window this group has. Yeah, I mean, I think that's been the the question mark for the Sharks throughout this entire, you know, not just this season, but last season as well. Um, You know, know, Joe, Joe Thornton and Joe Pavelski are pretty old. Um, even Brent Burns is pretty old too. Um, so it's like Mark Edward Vlasic is also pretty old and they're also, you know, so they're all like in their thirties. And, um, so that contract doesn't look necessarily good. Um, I actually kind of wonder if Joe Thornton is going to retire, um, just cause I know he had injuries and all that stuff. And, it's definitely possible. Like I know he was flirting with playing in the postseason, but it never seemed to actually happen. Um, yeah. So I am curious if maybe like this is it for Joe Thornton. Um, if it is, I think he is a, definitely a Hall of Fame player. It is kind of sad though that he uh, never got a cup, but I think it's definitely possible, um, considering the fact that he he signed an eight million dollar contract, one year contract this year for the Sharks, um, and I feel like that was just in, like, saying, like, oh, I have one more year, but yeah. we're going to give you a lot of money just so that um, you can, you know, you have something to look back on, and I don't know if he, if they can do that again, you know, and, and give him an $8 million one-year contract, because I guess you could continue to do that um, until Joe Thornton uh, feels like he, he can't go anymore, and I don't know, maybe Joe Thornton can't do it, because he hasn't played in like since, like, November, I want to say. So, um, I wonder if that's definitely, um, that's, it's definitely possible that Thornton could retire. And there's season. even more of a question on the window, because, you know, Winnipeg and Vegas have done better than a lot of people have expected, right. and you assume that Calgary and Edmonton are going to do better, and that Anaheim and L.A. are going to be right there. And maybe Chicago gets their act together. Maybe St. Louis is back in the mix. The Western Conference, outside of, like, maybe Vancouver and Arizona. I don't know. Arizona looks pretty good, too. Any of those teams could could really surpass the Sharks if they do a lot of good things. Well, even Arizona looks pretty good. But, yeah, I I do do know what you mean. Um and um, you also forgot to mention that Thomas Hurdle is also in RFA this year. Uh, so that's yeah, something and, that and they have had to... a pretty good playoffs, too. So that's going to be interesting yeah, to see so how much he's... money they pay him as well. Yeah, for sure. Good point on you. Um, but I just wanted to mention that he's probably going to get paid, even though he's in RFA. Um, yeah, so they don't have still to... probably get paid, like, I would think at least $4 million, no? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, maybe more. I feel like he's yeah. going to be... He's going to be, like, their center of the future, especially if Joe Thornton retires. Um, so um, I feel like he, um, they'll, they'll, like, they'll, they'll give him maybe $4 million, maybe $5 million, something up to there. Um, okay, let's go to the rapid fire. Um, so that was fun. Uh, we have kind of a short rapid fire this, this time around. Um, because not a ton of stuff happens um, outside of the playoffs. Tim Montgomery um, is the announced as the head coach for Dallas. 
Um, he was the for- he used to coach for the an ECHL team, and he was also most notably the coach of the University of Denver hockey team that won a championship. Um, he also we read an article about him in the Athletic, or it was sent to me, um, and it was uh, basically it said that he he Montgomery focuses on hits block shots, and face-offs won. Um, we're going to talk more about this in the off-season probably, but um, I am curious about how that's going to translate to the new NHL. Um, you know, I think, like, usually college head coaches, like, don't really get head coaching jobs, except for, like, Dave Haxtell. So it is kind of cool that, like, coaching head, you know, coaches in the college ranks are finally getting some chances in the NHL. Um, it's just like, so Dave Hextall, Hextall was the, um, the first guy to lead the way in that, in that regard. Um, and now it seems like, you know, Montgomery is, is getting a chance here and we'll see how that goes. Um, I, I also think that they like proven winners and yep. behind the bench, he's been a proven winner. Uh, the past five seasons, he's gone 125, 57, and 26 with the University of Denver. He won yep. a national title in 2016, 2017 with the team. Uh, as a player, he was a part of another college title with Maine in 1993. And prior to his coaching days in Denver, he spent three seasons as head coach and GM for uh, Dubuque, I probably butchered that, of the United States Hockey League. 2010 to 2013, the Fighting Saints went 118, 45, and 21, and they won two league titles as well. And on top of that, he's helped produce NHL talents such as Henrik Bjorkstrom, Johnny Gaudreau, Mike Matheson, Will Butcher, and some guy that now plays for the Boston Bruins named Danton Heinen. So when you consider all that, that he's a proven winner at various levels, that he knows how to develop guys, and when you consider that the Stars have been the fifth youngest team in the league for a good number of years now, he seems like a much better fit than someone like Alain Vigneault would be. So um, as uh, ownership mentioned, they've had this guy on their radar for a long time, and now they've got him on board, and I'm interested to see what he does. And uh, getting back to it'll be especially interesting when you consider that teams like Winnipeg and Nashville in their division thrive on speed. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, I think that it is good to have a focus on defense and, of course, like having possession, like face-off wins, is certainly important. Um, I'm not necessarily sure if hits are, or block shots should be the main focus because if, um, if, you're, if you're getting a lot of hits or a lot of block shots, um, you're not getting the puck that often because that's really what it also means. Like, sure, it's, it's great defensively, because um, it is one of the things that you can do defensively to do, but at the same time, it's not necessarily, um, you're not getting the puck necessarily. So um, I do find that kind of interesting. Um, let's um, let's go to the next item. Uh, Carter Hart, he won the World Junior Gold in 2018. He just won Goalie of the Year in the WHL for a third straight year. Um, and then he also took home player of the year this season, which is uh, impressive considering that goalies usually get that. Um, and he also, I'm just reading off what you add here, 
Um, he began the year with mono. Um, I have his stats here. He was in 41 games. He had a GAA of 1.6, which is crazy impressive, and a save percentage of 947. Um, he is a Flyers uh, prospect. Um, we should say that as well. I am. I, I would assume that he's going to be in the AHL next year, and we'll see how he does. Um, I just hope they don't rush him um, into the NHL so quickly because, um, you know, Philly doesn't have a, a ton of a, a great track record with developing goalies. So um, I just hope that they take their time with with uh, with Carter because um, they ob- this guy obviously has talent. Um, I just don't know um, if how it will translate to the NHL because... Um, you know, it could be that he's not, <laughs> um, it won't translate, but we'll see. Yeah, it'll be especially interesting to see if he's an NHL MVP at some point in the next decade, because then they right. just rename it the Hart Trophy. True. Funny, yeah. The Carter Hart Trophy. Yeah, the Carter Hart Trophy, it's, it's made yeah, for him. That's true. He's named after it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't know. Do you have anything else that you wanted to say about him? Um, well, I'm going to be talking a bit more about Carter Hart in uh, the CHL playoff preview. Okay. Um, in a little bit, so. Okay, fine, fine. I guess I can get to that. The CHL playoffs are in there. Um, when did you know that? Um, each league is in finals mode. Memorial Cup is a few weeks away. Um, so I'm going to let Steve take it from there. All right, well, uh, all of these six teams that are in the mix for that trip to Regina finished the regular season in the CHL's top ten rankings, so you're really getting the best of the best here. Uh, the WHL Finals has the Everett Silver Tips, which Carter Hart plays for. That's why I mentioned more about Carter Hart later. Uh, and they're going up against the Swift Current Broncos. That series is tied at one game apiece heading into game three. Uh, in the playoffs, Carter Hart has put forth a 2.43 goals against average and a 9.23 save percentage in 18 playoff games for Everett. Uh, he is going up against Oilers prospect Stuart Skinner, who owns a GAA of 2.33, uh, 10.10 points lower than Carter Hart, and a save percentage of 9.27. That's a slightly better save percentage as well. And he's faced 158 more shots than Carter Hart. And he's played in four more games than him as well. So that's shaping up to be a goaltender's duel. Uh, so we'll see how that series plays out. Over the QMJHL, we have um, two teams that aren't used to playing in league championships. The Acadie Bathurst Titan, uh, who had four straight losing seasons prior to last year and could have been relocated in the late 2000s. Uh, they're facing the Blainville Boisbriand and Armada, who joined the QMJHL in 2011 and have recorded 41 seasons in every year except 2015-16. That series is all tied up at one, heading into Game 3. The persons of interest for me in that series, uh, Alex Barry-Boulet, who uh, uh, is a big contributor of the Blanville-Bobriand-Armada's offense. Uh, He has 12 goals and 25 points uh, in these playoffs. Signed to an entry-level deal by, oh, guess who? The Tampa Bay Lightning before the end of the regular season. So the rich keep getting richer there. And uh, one of his teammates is actually a Sens prospect. That would be Drake Batherson, who was traded from Cape Breton before the deadline. He has made a statement in these playoffs by scoring 10 goals and 28 points. 
the man standing in their way is Evan Fitzpatrick, who was averaging over 42 shots against per game in the 2016 playoffs with Sherbrooke. This year, it's only an average of 27.7, and he's responded with a stellar 1.99 GAA and a 9.28 save percentage in 16 games. So, uh, David versus Goliath, a matchup, I guess, when it comes to offense there. Blandwell appears to have the edge there, but nevertheless, that series is tied heading into Game 3. And then the OHL Finals features the Hamilton Bulldogs and the top team in the country, the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds. Uh, it should be noted the top team was almost bounced by Kitchener in the West Finals, but they managed to survive a double OT thriller in Game 7 to book their ticket. Uh, that final series is tied at 1. It features a boatload of NHL talent. you got Blues prospect Robert Thomas and Flyers pick Matt Strom uh, headlining the list of must-watch Bulldogs. Uh, you also have a pair of Tampa Bay prospects in Boris Kachuk and Taylor Radish playing for the Greyhounds, uh, both are one point shy of 30 apiece in these playoffs. Uh, so uh, we'll keep you up to date as we get closer to the Memorial Cup on uh, what happens there. Cool. Um, thanks for that. Just a couple of news stories uh, before we go. Um, first, I mean, some that you had in the pre-show notes, um, but I feel like we have some time left to talk about it, but... Uh, Edmonton signs Miko Kosinen, who was a um, KHL, he's a C-SKA, or SKA St. Petersburg goalie. Um, he had a, uh, he's, he had a GAA of 1.57 and a save percentage of 9.37, um, .937 in 29 games. Um, and he did really well in the playoffs, it looks like. 9.35 save percentage in 15 playoff games. Um, but yeah, so the Edmonton Oilers have that. He's 29 years old, so that's kind of crazy. So I would imagine we could see him in the in the majors pretty soon, considering that also he's 29 years old. Uh, he's getting paid $2.5 million in that one-year deal. And I also believe uh, he had some previous NHL experience just taking a look at his... I think uh, the Islanders? Yeah, I believe he was uh, with the Islanders. Although he's he's one of those uh, Evgeny Dadanov type of players where um, Evgeny Dadanov had a great year this year, but uh, kind of struggled to find his way in the NHL level uh, in his first go-around. Uh, so maybe this year uh, is going to be different. But uh, just taking a look here. It's also a little here, different if uh, he's a goalie. Uh, four games with the Islanders. So a small sample size in 2010-2011. Posted a 4.33 goals against average and an 8.73 save percentage. It's also a little but different. That was 2010-2011. That, that so that was a while back. It's also a little different if he's a goalie compared to like Dadanoff who's a forward. But yeah, I do know what you mean. Um, also, uh, there was a trade, uh, Marcus Kruger goes to Arizona and a 2018 third round pick and Carolina gets back Jordan Martinuk and a 2018 fourth round pick. So, um, so there's a trade that's kind of exciting. Um, and also Nicholas Backstrom is not at morning skate for the Capitals. Um, so it looks like maybe the Capitals won't have Nicholas Backstrom. So that could they could hurt the Capitals' chances going forward. Um, we'll see if that works. And Actually, that... I, I saw a report that he is expected to play in Game 6 uh, before this news. So either something happened and he's not playing at all, 
or it's just a maintenance day and he's good to go for for uh, game six. So we'll see. Yeah. We'll see what. Well, this is there. according to Tom Gilotti. The caps line seem to indicate no backstrom tonight. Um, Ooh, okay. So, um, and this was, and this was at eleven forty one a.m. So I don't know when you checked that out, but. Um, no, I, I checked. I checked it last night. They said he was expected yeah, to so, play. But obviously, things might have changed. Um, and then um, two other things: USA beat Canada in the World Championships um, in a shootout, nonetheless. So that was fun. And then also there was another thing: a fun stat for the first time since two thousand nine, no teams from California will be playing in the Western Conference Finals. So, um, yeah, because the Sharks got eliminated last night, yep. so um, there is no, um, there's no California team. Um, Vegas sure eliminated lot, two sure of them. I'm sure a lot of the NHL fans will be disappointed, but not so much so when they realize, oh, Vegas, a party town, all right. Right. I, I thought you were going to make a quip. party in Vegas is great. I thought you were going to make a quip about how California has no fans, but... Um, <laughs> no. Uh, but yeah, no, it's, um, there have been a lot of Stanley Cups won in California. I don't know if I'd say they have no fans. Uh, I, I think LA, like, that's like a usual quip, like, chirp is like, LA doesn't have a ton of fans. Um, Anaheim does, I guess, Sharks kind of do. I feel like California doesn't really care about hockey, to be honest. Is there, there, but like, you could say that about like every sport except for, um, except for basketball, but like it's like they just care about the Dodgers and the Lakers. Um, those two yeah. Sport- the, the, to be fair, those are two tough markets to top, yeah. though. Like True. they're very, very tough. No, to I'm, not, I'm not saying like it's a bad thing or anything. I feel like yeah. you know, I think it's they're just one of those cities that um, there's so much else to do, kind of like Florida or yeah. Miami. Where there's so much else to do that they, they're not going to, like, want to, like, if it's sunny, like, 90 degrees for, you know, nine months of the year or even more than that, you know, you're not going to want to go to an ice rink every time. So, you know, I, 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 I don't blame LA Kings to not have a ton of attendance or, um, or sharks or ducks. I'm not saying there aren't any fans. I'm just saying that there aren't a ton of fans. Um, that, that there could be, um, but yeah, so, uh, (laughs) um, yeah, that's, that's it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. Uh, you can, uh, what's our social media platforms there that uh, they can, oh yeah, I forgot to do that. Or do you want to? No, I'll do it. It's fine. Uh, (laughs) um, it's become my thing here, I guess. Uh, Lace Up Podcast is our Twitter. Lace Them Up is our Facebook um, and, uh, we're all, you know, as you know, we're on SoundCloud, um, but you can be updated on when we put our, all our episodes on Facebook and on our Twitter, um, as well. Um, yeah, what do we, I don't think we have anything on the blog. Um, no, I, I think it's probably going to maybe make an appearance more like in the conference finals or in the Stanley Cup finals for okay. sure during the off season of, uh more stuff uh, on the blog there and um, trying to work on uh, maybe filing some hockey rants in the future. Got uh, my microphone and Adobe audition on my computer. So 
I might uh, send that to, to Brett and he can put it on the podcast page, but uh, that is a work in progress. So uh, hopefully if not throughout the playoffs during the off season, we'll hear more of those. Yep. Um, I, yeah, that, that's fine. I might start blogging. We'll see now that my uh, schedule has kind of freed up a bit. So we'll see about that. Um, I'm Brett Dubuff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. The next time we talk, we'll be right into the conference finals. So we'll look forward to that conversation in episode 125 of the Lace Them Up podcast.